Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Fame. Tuesday, August 5th, 2014. Just a little over a week away for the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio Conference in Clinton, Iowa. Listen, those of you are saying, well, Clinton, Iowa, that's near, not near anything. Yeah, it is. It's near Clinton, Iowa. It's near where, you know, we're going to be. <laughs> yeah. Beat that logic, will ya? Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I'm your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to slow down, stop, open up our Bibles, and check to see if what folks are saying actually squares with what God's Word says in context. Now, from time to time, people ask me the question, why are you doing this, Chris? What what, what caused you to get involved in all of this? And I, I think it actually helps uh, for, you know, from time to time to talk a little bit about the history of, you know, what it is that makes Roseboro be doing what he be doing. Uh, well, think of it this way. Hey, back in the day, in fact, I don't talk about this too much, but um, back in the day, my wife and I, we grew up in the Nazarene church. That's right. We were Nazarenes. And if you know anything about the Nazarene theology, it's kind of an interesting hybrid. It's a hybrid between uh, Wesleyan Methodism and Finneite revivalism. And the core central text in the Nazarene uh, denomination classically is, Be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And listen, when I was a Nazarene, I did my darn tootinous best to be ye perfect. And um, as a teenager, when hormones and all that kind of stuff, found uh, difficulty in actually pulling that off. Uh, <laughs> and you're sitting there going, really, do tell. <laughs> you know, yeah, I know. Okay, it seems kind of obvious now. I'm 46, you know, looking back, it's like, well, of course, you know. So, But the thing is, is that uh, the, there's a theology there um, where... Um, sometimes people refer to the theology in churches like the Nazarene uh, Church. The gospel is a rear-view mirror gospel. Uh, the idea is, is the gospel is only preached to you know, somebody who needs to make a decision to become a Christ follower or ask Jesus into their heart or stuff like that. This is the, the, uh, the phrases and the idioms used in, uh, in the Nazarene Church when I was growing up. And, and so the idea is once you make that decision, you don't need to hear about the cross anymore. So in the rear-view mirror the, uh, view of the cross— 
you know, the farther away you get from your uh, your decision to follow Jesus, the smaller and the small and smaller the the cross gets in your rear rear view mirror. I mean, so small that you can't even see it. You know, and so you, you oftentimes you, you find somebody who's in a theology like that, and you talk about the shed blood of Christ and the forgiveness of sins and stuff like that. They'll say, "Oh, well, I heard that before I became a Christian. Why are you teaching that to me?" Yeah, that was me. Okay. And uh, so the the sermons that I grew up under, I mean, super heavy-handed law. And um, because it was mixed with kind of Finneyite revivalism, the idea is, is that on Sunday you can get saved. Yeah, Sunday you can get saved. But then on Monday you could, you know, fornal caboodulate and lose your salvation. You're thinking, what's fornal caboodulating? Yeah, just <laughs> it is what it sounds like. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of a generic catch-all phrase for some kind of sins of the flesh, you know, that kind of thing. So on Monday, you fornal caboodulate and you lose your salvation, but then you come to church again and you got to get born again, again, again. And so it, it's it, uh, the rhythm of it was horrible and it's all law. And you grow up under that kind of preaching and teaching. You, the one thing that you begin to do is question whether or not God loves you. I mean, because here you got this be ye perfect as your heavenly father is in heaven is imperfect, is perfect. And and, yeah, you know, all the verses that are being preached to you have nothing to do with the gospel. It's all law, 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 law. Um, you know, and it's done even then it's done poorly. It's in fact, it's bad law because, you know, it becomes it, it kind of gets reduced down to the things you don't do. You don't drink. You don't dance. You don't smoke. You don't chew tobacco and, you know, and things like that. And, and there was and there's no sense of of a positive sense of holiness it's uh, it's all based on what you don't do well see i don't go to movies i don't watch television i don't you know i yeah you know, and um and and the problem is because there's no gospel listen you you sit in a church where it's all law no gospel i guarantee you that what you're doing is forcing people to basically put up a facade of holiness, a facade of them pulling it off, a facade of them being holy. But you scratch the facade, you're going to find that people are really desperately struggling with sin because here's the deal. You preach the law constantly. You're, in a sense, just asking for trouble because your sinful nature is going to take the opportunity of the preaching of the law to go crazy on you. And when there's no gospel... There's no forgiveness of sins. You're not hearing what Christ has done for you. Oy. It, it, it's, it really is a formula for creating um, outright hypocrites. And I, and I mean that in the truest sense of the word. People who will sit there and, oh, I'm holy and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. But you, yeah, if you were to put a, you know, a camera on them when no one's looking, you'd be shocked at the things they're doing. I mean, that's what it does. Um, the other thing it does is it creates these people who basically say, I'm out of here. Those are the ones who are honest. Those are the ones who are honest and say, I'm out of here. I'm not measuring up. I can't do this. And you know they, they end up becoming what uh, Dr. Rosenblatt calls the sad alumni of Christianity. Um, so you got you got the people who act like they're pulling it off. You got the people who know they can't pull it, up, pull it off. Then you got people who, um, for lack of a better way of putting it, becomes so desperate that suicide becomes an option in that theology because the, the, all that's left is this total sense that God hates you. There's no love of God for you. Only, you know, only His wrath, only His anger at you not measuring up. And uh, and so you anyway. My wife and I both, when we were in high school, that's the type of high school we went to. 
And that's the theology that we're exposed to. And we decided to go whole hog even farther into it, and and uh, which led us in in a stint into the uh, latter rain movement. You know, super hyper charismatic stuff, which the the latter rain movement has morphed into what is now the new apostolic reformation. So when we do the segments here with Chuck Pierce and uh, Cindy Jacobs, and uh, even you know Patricia King type people, yeah, I, I've been there. Been there and done that, and uh, and by God's grace, uh, the Lord delivered us out of that, and we were able to see that this is not what the Bible teaches. And uh, when we came, when we came out of it, um, you know, through kind of a weird series of events, I found myself actually doing counter cult ministry, where um, where I was uh, witnessing and sharing the gospel with uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and and uh, people who were caught up in the cult. So I spent a lot of time doing counter cult ministry work. Went to uh, Concordia University, Irvine, uh, to study apologetics because the uh, late Walter Martin said that that was where I should go to school to study apologetics, and um, that's you know where I met Dr. Rosenblatt and where I first came across the Law Gospel distinctive that's found in uh, Confessional Lutheranism, and gotta say I you know I that was completely foreign to me, totally wrecked me, but um, and you know that's the thing that in in a sense not only just wrecked me but it also saved my life. And so having been deceived, having sat under false teachers, having experienced the heartbreak and the sense of betrayal um, that goes along with realizing that in the name of Jesus you've been taught falsely, um, I have, for lack of a better way of putting it, a, you know, a, a complete sense of duty within myself to reach out to people with the truth and to help people to see the truth about how to handle God's word and to properly distinguish between law and gospel so that they don't suffer that type of despair and they can hear the comforting assurance and good news that Christ has bled and died for our sins. And so it alarms me, it troubles me that there's so many people who come to us in the name of Jesus who do not bring us the truth of what Jesus taught and what his word says. And um, and so this uh, fighting for the faith is really dedicated to helping people open up their Bibles, learn how to employ basic hermeneutics, sound biblical exegesis, to properly distinguish law and gospel so that they can find Bible teachers and pastors who are going to preach the word correctly and proclaim Christ and Him crucified for our sins, even to believers, because I believe uh, with with everything that's in me that that's what the Scriptures teach us to do is that the, the gospel is not something that is supposed to be in the rearview mirror and get smaller and smaller and smaller as you as you are a Christian. But instead, it's the very thing that's in front of us day after day after day. And so the, the Christian life is one of daily repentance, daily forgiveness, and properly understanding law and gospel, and, and cranking the law all the way up to where it's supposed to be, because by doing that, it convicts us of our sins and show us our need, our need for a Savior, and then the gospel becomes even that much more sweeter because Christ says, the one who's forgiven much loves much, and anybody who thinks that they do not need to be forgiven of much doesn't properly understand God's law. And so, you know, that's that. I, I wanted to share that so you kind of understand where it is we're coming from here at Fighting for the Faith. What is it that turns our crank? What, you know? Well, why am I doing what I'm doing? Well, that that's kind of the uh, the short answer to the uh, the long question. Now, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's 
episode of Fighting for the Faith. We got three things I want to get to in hour number one, and and then we got a sermon review in hour number two. And I'm not sure how to set up the sermon review quite yet. Um, it's, <laughs> uh, this is a sermon that we're going to be well, kind of starting there. Um, this is a sermon where uh, you know Brian Wilson's uh, church. Uh, and I think it's Brian Wilson, but, uh, we're going to be listening to it. He's not the one preaching though. It's, it's a woman that's doing the preaching and, and I kind of set up the, uh, the, the opening of the program because I had her sermon kind of still rattling around in my brain before I came on the air today. And she sounds like somebody who has some of the hurts and pains, uh, that I have. She's experienced some of the same effects of legalism. Uh, and, you know, over exuberant all law pietism that I grew up in. Uh, but the problem is, is I, it doesn't sound like she's correctly found the, the, the biblical law gospel distinctive. So uh, I'll, I'll explain more about that in hour number two. So yeah, keep in mind, that's kind of where we're going to be going in, in hour number two. Hour number one, um, man, I, you know, I, I labored over this decision and molded over and thought, oh, I shouldn't. And then I thought, oh, I should. And then I thought, oh, I shouldn't. But then I, and then I thought, okay, I, I should. And you're going, should, should what? Do what? Well, you know, it's been only a couple of days. I think on Friday we, uh, we pl- <laughs> played the latest hit song from, uh, from William Tapley, the third <laughs> of the apocalypse and co-prophet of the end times. Well, it turns out that he's been quite busy. And so... We've got a new song, but it, this is not like any other song that we've we've premiered here at Fighting for the Faith from William Tapley. I don't know how to categorize this, and I, I played it for my son today, and I and I said, "Is this hip hop? What is the is 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 William Tapley doing a rap?" I I <laughs> we couldn't figure it out. We we don't know how to categorize it. So we're thinking we're thinking that William Tapley has inadvertently created a new genre of music. And um, it's it's innovative, and it's so awful that we're pretty certain that as a genre, it'll never catch on. But <laughs> I don't know how to put it. So we're going to be listening to um, <clears throat> the latest song from William Tapley entitled, this is the name of it, Millions for Mary Can Save America. That's right. That's the Virgin Mary. Millions for Mary Can Save America. Not sure if it's techno, not sure if it's rap, not sure if it's hip hop. Um, Maybe uh, there's influences by all of those different genres of music, but this is clearly a unique experience and uh, one that should cause nightmares. So we'll be doing that. Uh, We'll take a listen to some interesting recent things said by Paula White. We'll take a break and we come back from the break. We're going to be listening to a recently aired episode from Carrie Shook's ministry. That's right. Carrie Shook is now a guy who broadcasts on TBN. And the name of the message we're going to be listening to is entitled Be the Message. And this is a common, common twisting and misunderstanding of of what the Bible teaches. In fact, uh, what we're going to what we're going to be hearing here is a false gospel, and it's a false gospel for many reasons. But have you ever heard the idea that you you know you are the gospel, you are the message? No, you're not. Jesus is not you. Jesus is. So we're going to be uh, taking the occasion of Carrie Schick's uh, recent, recently aired episode on Trinity Broadcasting Network 
to uh, basically shoot down this idea that you and your life are the message that God wants you to tell the world. No, God wants you to tell the world about Jesus and him crucified and risen from the grave for our sins and for our justification. So we'll be talking about that. And like I said, we'll we'll set up the rest of, uh, you know, to kind of frame what we're going to be listening to in hour number two during the sermon review time when we get there. So with that, uh, we're going to uh, dive into the program proper. And since we're starting out with a William Tapley 30 of the Apocalypse co-prophet of the End Times update, that requires us to do this. Doom and gloom coming soon. Listen to Thirty Eagles tune. Doom and gloom. God is telling us the end is coming soon. Very soon. You'll see signs up in the sun and stars and moon. Soon, rapture comes at night or noon. Doom and gloom, very soon. If you're ready, you will meet the bride and groom. All right, that's our uh, William Tapley, third eagle of the apocalypse, co prophet of the end times update music. And um, that is to prepare us for, well, yet another William Tapley song. And although William Tapley, he, he has truly mad Casio skills. Um, what we're going to hear here, we don't know how to classify this. We don't know if this is rap. We don't know if it's hip hop, not sure if it's techno or some blending of all three of those genres, but we do know that this is something that could cause nightmares. The name of it again is millions for Mary can save America. And I wish there was some way to describe what it is. The, the well, the feast that your ears are going to be feasting upon that you know in the next few seconds, there's no way to describe it, so we're just gonna have to get right to it. Here is the latest, like two in a row, hit single again from William Tapley. Here we go. America. Once you were a great nation, you respected the laws of God. You protected the innocent. You upheld the family. What have your leaders done to you? What have drugs done to you? Yeah, I I was wondering if uh, William Tapley has that same problem. What has immorality done to you? Do you have a future? Why have you abandoned the family supernatural evil has overcome you look around you is there a supernatural solution can the mother of God help you what did Mary promise at Fatima Uh, (laughs) what 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 the Virgin Mary is supposed to help us? Have you ever prayed Mary's rosary? Nope, not even once. What did the angel say to Mary? I don't think the angel said anything. Well, except from the book of, you know, you know, like, like the Gospels. But uh, that had to do with the birth of Jesus. 
Hail Mary, full of grace. Yeah, but that wasn't supposed to be some pre... He wasn't praying to her, you know? Can Mary still save America? No, Mary's dead. Yeah, she's with the Lord, you know, in heaven, but she's not in the saving business, you know? Mary will help us to become once again a nation under God. She she will? A nation for the born and the unborn, a holy nation, a people set apart. Mary's going to do this? Please join our Millions for Mary apostolate. Millions of Hail Marys can save America. (laughs) Yeah. So apparently this is like the spiritual equivalent of a Hail Mary pass to save America, you know? Jesus listens to his mother. (laughs) Yeah. Scripture says that there's one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus. Um, This idea that, hey, listen, if you really want to get, you know, on the inside track and get Jesus to answer your prayers, pray to Mary. And and since, you know, Jesus listens to her, you know, hey, you know, that's the way to get things done. Like no one else. I have personally committed to praying one rosary every day for America. Oh, I'm sure that salvation is just around the corner, on the horizon, coming now that you're doing that. Please visit our new blog, millionsformary.wordpress.com. I am frightened, truly frightened. And to make your commitment, just click on the link provided below. Never forget, a nation that prays together stays together yeah do you think that praying to the virgin mary is gonna help anything yeah i don't see any biblical reasons to believe that uh, we should be praying to mary or any other dearly departed saint Uh, the person we are to be praying to is christ or god our heavenly father but you know mary yeah no she's not the third person of the holy trinity now is she no not at all moving along Money, 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 money. Wanna get me a suit that's made out of ooze? 
and whistle for wearing it green. I got that monetary itis like speeches like King Midas. Want that golden touch is what I mean. Give me that old double eagle. Want that tender that is legal and financially substantially. Any sum I can and beagle. Want a living regal splendor for that loving legal tender. Money, 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 money. That's right. There's Dr. Teeth and money, money, money. Now, we're going to be uh, listening to... Uh, a, a couple of snippets uh, from a recent message delivered by Paula White at the Potter's House out there in Dallas. That would be T.D. Jakes's um, <clears throat> church. Can you call it that, really? Because uh, T.D. Jakes is one who does not actually truly affirm the doctrine of the Trinity. So what is the God that he prays to? Well, it's not the, the God of the Bible. But um, recently on T.D. Jakes's YouTube channel... Uh, they went ahead and posted several different videos of of um, Paula White's recent appearance there, and uh, she really gets the crowd worked up. Now, this is what I would consider the quintessential example of, uh, well, scratching itching ears rather than preaching the word. And we shouldn't expect anything less than past, from pa- Pastrix Paula White. Because she, for years, has been a TBN money-grubbing televangelist type, and uh, she is not a sound biblical teacher. She is somebody who teaches false doctrine and fleeces Christ's sheep in order to make a buck. Here's kind of an example of what it sounds like in its worst, rawest way of uh, scratching, itching ears. Here's Paula White. You see, there's something on the inside of you that the enemy never wants you to push forward. Mm, Yeah, right. Really? Where does the Bible say that, Paula? The enemy wants you to stay locked into a victim mentality. Oh, I see. That's what he wants, right? Yeah. Where does it say that in the Bible? Locked into sickness and generational curses and disease, but the devil... Oh, yeah. The the, the accursed generational curse. Yeah. Just don't worry. Send money to Paula White. She'll be happy to break it for you. Liz, a liar. I came to decree somebody's about to prosper this morning. Somebody's about to push forward. It means to break. Oh, yeah. You came to decree that somebody's about to prosper, right? Yeah, scratching, itching ears for sure. It means to break forth. You're about to break forth. You better look at somebody and say, excuse me, I need some room because I'm about to push out. Push out of this mess. Push out of this depression. Come on, push out of this poverty. Push out of this bondage. Push out of every limitation. Oh, yeah. She's even got, you know, minstrels in the back playing. You know, was it a Hammond B3 going on in the background there? Push out of my past. I'm about to break forth. If you can't handle a breakout, you might want to change rooms because when, when when breakouts start happening, they're contagious. I might just be contagious. I might just spread something over to you. As I start to break out, you better look at somebody and say, get ready. Oh, yeah, get ready. Yeah, she's about to break out, you know. I'm getting ready to break out. Today is my day. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm shifting into a new place. It's a new season. Yeah, talk about narcissistic. Who's she? Oh, she ain't preaching Christ. She's just making stuff up and basically inflating people's egos, all in the name of Jesus, you know? So, so very, very clearly, very clearly, when the prophet and the priest, I have a prophetic word, when the prophet and the priest. Oh, she's a prophet. Mm-hmm. Wrong. Let him break out. Come on, break out. I'm telling you, God already showed me that today's going to be a supernatural move. Uh-huh, right. I'm sure he did. Yes. I'm telling you, I've been fasting and praying. Oh, I'm sure you have. We've got a whole team fasting and praying. A whole team. Oh, that'll make a difference. I've got all Ghana fasting and praying for this day because God told me when I come to the pot. God told you what? No, he didn't. He's not talking to you. You're making this up. You're going to have to give an accounting to God 
for all of these false words that you're speaking to these people. His power is going to show up supernaturally and everything that the enemy has tried to hold you back with is coming up off you. Every restriction, every limitation, every hindrance. Come on, I'm telling you, you better get ready for that because it's going to happen this whole service. Somebody is going to leave here healed of cancer. Now, this is like the uh, the, the raffle ticket. This is raffle ticket blessing going on here. Somebody's going to leave here with healing. Somebody's going to leave here with this. And so check your raffle tickets. You you hope you bought enough of them because uh, that's kind of how these healings and miracles work in places like this. It's all kind of a raffle. And yeah, so if you're holding ticket number 0034721, oh, here's your healing. Oh, all of you that don't have that raffle ticket, thanks for playing and come back next week and give us some more money. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, God will uh, heal or you know, release or you'll have your breakthrough or whatever, you know, going on. Yeah. Somebody's going to be delivered of depression. Somebody's going to break through poverty. Discouragement is leaving you right now in the name of Jesus. And God is turning things around. Things that have been closed off to you. God is opening up in the name of Jesus, not by might, not by power, but by the spirit of the living God. He- oh yeah. Just throw in a Bible verse and that, that'll make this biblical. God, he showed me it's a mighty move of his spirit. To- oh, yeah, he showed you. Yeah, right. Again, you're going to have to explain all of this to Jesus face to face. I don't know what you think you're doing. Today, God is going to move in power, move in might. He's about to show off. We didn't come just to have another church service, to hear another sermon. We came for God. We came to have a move of God this morning. You better slap somebody one more time and say, this is your day. Yeah, just slap somebody and say, this is your day. Yeah, it sounds like the kind of thing that should happen in church, don't you think? And, uh, you know, to kind of add a little bit more to this, we'll fast forward. Here's the next one. Also, just posted recently at uh, T.D. Jakes' YouTube channel. Here, Here's more of Paula White. So everything that has attached itself to you, Gina, everything from your past that has attached itself, that bad credit report, that, that, that hurt, come on. Oh, has, has a bad credit report attached itself to you? Oh, yeah. Hmm, I bet there's probably some sin involved in that particular thing, right? That, that, that bankruptcy. Oh, you aren't hearing that, that, that record, that, that prison record. Whatever has... A- yeah, this is what it sounds like when, when a so-called preacher is praying, P-R-E-Y-E-I-N-G, on people who are struggling and, and having these terrible situations in their life. They're preying on these people attached itself to you from your past that money you owe that energy that you expended those tears that you cried that heartache that you went through everything that is attached itself to you from your past it says the walls will fall flat the word fall flat it really the walls will fall flat are you are you referring to the the story of the uh, walls of jericho falling yeah, that ain't about, you know, the walls falling flat in your bankruptcy or your bad credit report or anything like that. That's that's absurd. It means to be conquered, to be overthrown, to die. Every attachment of your past that tries to get into your future, God says, I'm about to cause you to conquer it. I'm about to kill it. It's going to die. It's going to be overthrown. I call forth a divine reversal, divine closure to everything from your past that would try to prevent you from getting to your future. This is your year. You are positioned. You are prepared. You are walking in purpose. You better. And you are being deceived. 
by Paula White. That's what she's doing. She's deceiving people. All in the name of Jesus, of course. Get know? ready, because what you think would take three to five years, I prophesy God is going to do an acceleration. Yeah, you prophesy God's going to do an acceleration. You're a false prophet. He's going to put resources in your hand. He's going to put favor in your hand. Because real power, real power has to do with your network. Real power has to do with what you're connected to. Real power has to do with what you're standing with. You better slap somebody and say, God's getting ready to give me access. Just slap somebody and say, God's going to give me access. Like this has anything to do with what really God is going to do. Yeah. He's getting ready to restore my hand and the people shall ascend up every man, every person. There are people in your family that are going to the next level. Your children are going to be blessed. Your children's children are going to be blessed. Scratching itching ears here. Yeah. yeah. Time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but will gather to themselves teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Second Timothy chapter four. That's what it says. They will wander off into myths. That's what this is. This isn't this isn't biblical doctrine. This is just mythological Candyland stuff made up in, in Paula White's little brain. Simply because God says it's 2014, you're entering into a year of inheritance. You're cooperating with a season. You're obeying the word of God by position of the patriarch. And as you do so, get ready because everyone in your family, your community, your workplace, people you've been praying over, they're getting ready to ascend. They're getting ready to go up. I don't know who I'm here for, but you've been living too low. The life God put you in is larger than what you've been living. You're getting ready to go up in the name of Jesus. Somebody's getting ready to come up. Come on, they're coming out of everything that has held you back and held you back. Some places, some people who've denied you access because of who you are are getting ready to grant you an opening. Slap somebody, say, I'm getting my hand back. I'm getting my hand back. I'm getting it back. I'm getting it back. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, I'm getting my hand back. I'm getting it back in the name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. In the name of Jesus. By the way, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, Scripture says. And what she just did there is a breaking of that commandment. She is invoking the name of Jesus Christ in order to deceive people, to steal from them, teaching false doctrine in the name of Jesus, all to whip them up into a frenzy because by whipping them up into a frenzy, that would motivate them to come on down and put some bills, put some Benjamins on the out there on the stairs uh, leading up to the stage at the potter's house. Yeah, that's what that's all about. And if she doesn't repent, if she doesn't want to be forgiven for this blasphemy that she's committing, then she will have to give an accounting for each and every one of these words. Think about it. All right. We are up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to be doing an extended Carrie Shook update, uh, taking to task this idea that you are the gospel. You are the message that the world needs to hear. No, you ain't. They need to hear about Jesus. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. 
We'll be taking your false doctrine now. why we have to come to these small group sessions they're just so boring hey do you find that small groups just aren't that interesting or fun anymore that's quite literally what i just said then we have the product just for you new from los lobos ministries is beth moore's biblical mad libs well what is it simple Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs are an entire booklet loaded with fill-in-the-blank Bible passages. Aren't we supposed to read the scriptures the way they were originally written? None of you want to spice up your small group Bible studies. With Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs, you can make every passage be about you. Isn't scripture about Jesus? Only if you want it to be. In our postmodern age, it's stupid to think that such a thing as absolute truth actually exists. Every passage is open to interpretation. Read the example. But now that you have been set free from financial debt and have become warriors of God, the fruit you get leads to better sex and eternal life. For the wages of sin are smelly diapers, but the free gift of God is a really good tax return in Jesus Christ our Lord. That was absolutely heretical. Why would anyone butcher scripture like this? Because modern-day Christians like you don't endure sound doctrine. By popular demand, you've appointed leaders in the church who've given your itching ears what they want to hear and haven't looked back since. Ha! Suckers! This is just horrible. If you thought it couldn't get any worse, then you're just as foolish as Naval. We've already expanded the biblical Mad Lib franchise to include alternate Bible translations. That can't be good. You're right! It isn't! We now have Biblical Mad Libs in The Voice, the NIV, the KJV, the NKJV, and, for a limited time only, we have the Furtick Audaciously Revised Translation. Wait, doesn't that last one spell? Yes, it does spell fun. Not just fun for you, but for the entire small group. We've even created a Biblical Mad Libs Junior Edition to get the kids twisting scripture from a young age. I would never buy this for my children. Lucky for you, you don't have to. We're handing out free copies to every youth group in the nation. Plus, we're also including a special copy of Elevation Church's The Code Coloring Book for a little extra heretical flavor. You're not going to get away with this. You can't stop us. We're already in control. Resistance is futile. Pay more for travel than you need to. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to tell you about Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Cheapo Air is a leading provider of airline tickets, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Cheapo Air has extensive partnerships with the top travel brands in the world. Now, whether you need to travel for business or for pleasure, Cheapo Air can help you save money. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already 
low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, then click on the banner and book your low-cost travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your self-proclaimed or favorite self-proclaimed prophetess who's declaring prosperity and release in your life and things like that. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. That's right, it's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute. You could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support, because we cannot do what we are doing here without it. Now, I, I need to warn you, but for this next segment, I do not have update music. Now, I might have Carrie Shook update music that we've played in the past, but I've got to tell you, due to, um, well, how do I put it? Due to uh, creeping decrepitude, <laughs> yeah, I'm getting older by the minute. Uh, and if you've listened to Fighting for the Faith, from, from time to time, I mean, I say some of the silliest things. You know, I'll, I'll, certain names will get jumbled in my mind and things like that, and, I, and I'll get names wrong and I'll... <laughs> And it's happening more and more. But at the moment, I can't seem to recall if we ever came up with official music for Carrie Shook updates. And so, you know, if I had my choice, (laughs) if I had my choice, because if you've listened to Fighting for the Faith for any length of time, you know that Carrie Shook is one of these guys that... Um, he, he has this uh, an ability. The, the, the best way to describe this ability that he has, he has an ability to preach a sermon that is designed to somehow be appealing to men and to, in the process of preaching that sermon, to literally suck all of the testosterone out of the room and that there's only estrogen left. So I was thinking that if I were, go- if I were going to be picking Kerry Shook update music, I was thinking about Helen Reddy's I Am Woman, Hear Me Roar. But we use that for somebody else. So just, you know, just saying. But what we're about to hear here is a big problem. It's not a small problem. This is a big problem. Kerry Shook's not the only guy who's preached messages like this. And it is, it's not only wrong, it's dangerously wrong. Like quintessentially dangerously wrong. So dangerously wrong that that somebody could kind of steer into one of the anathemas uh, that's mentioned in Galatians chapter 1 but just kind of let you know this this is this is not something that is um neutral this is not something that's just like an ipsy or a slipsy or an oops you know something like that no this is this is dangerously wrong cuz it touches on 
the central doctrine of the Christian faith, the gospel itself. And so before we play Kerry Shook, let me remind you what Scripture says, okay? If, if someone were to ask you, uh, you know, hey, you know, what's the, uh, what's the gospel, okay? Listen to me when I tell you this. The answer must be biblical. And what I mean by it is, is that if you're going to tell somebody what the definition of the gospel is, the Bible, not me, not you, not somebody else, gets to decide what the gospel is, right? Thankfully, there is a passage that clearly and absolutely unambiguously answers this question, okay? It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'll read it to you, starting at verse 1. Here's what the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says to the church at Corinth. Now, I would remind you, brothers, these are Christian brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. What's he going to remind them of? Guess what? It's the gospel. So here it is, right? The the gospel which you received, which you stand, by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So here it is. Here's the gospel. Ready? For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, mm -hmm, in accordance with the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas into the Twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and the, all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So, what's the gospel? Plain and simple. It's the story of what Jesus has done for us, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, he was buried and raised again on the third day in accordance with the scripture. That's the gospel. Plain and simple. That's the gospel. That's what the Bible defines it as. It's not, you don't need to be speculating about what it is. That's straight up what it is. Now, with that ringing in your ears, let's hear what Carrie Shook has to say. And by the way, this is dangerous. Extremely dangerous. Here we go on my wife Chris's heart and on my heart to plant a church that would be all about Jesus and not about religion. Because it seems that we're always trying to turn Christianity into some religious words or sermons or slogans. But Christianity is not a sermon or a slogan. It's the Savior. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with Christ. Christianity is not a bunch of words. It's the word, Jesus Christ. Now, it sounds so far so good-ish, right? I mean, okay, yeah, Christianity is all about Jesus Christ. Okay, I, I, I'm in agreement. No problem with that. You know, um, so it's all about Jesus. Right. Now, watch what he does here, because this is the theological equivalent of misdirection. Okay, if you're, if you're familiar with how magic tricks or illusions work, oftentimes illusions look like you know the, the magician is actually performing magic because he's become an artist at misdirection. Let me give you an example of, of classic misdirection, not from a magician, but from Rick Warren. What's the first sentence of the book, The Purpose Driven Life? The first sentence is, it's not about you. Okay, But then Rick Warren goes on and spends over 300 pages doing what? Talking about you. The first sentence is misdirection. What Kerry Shook has done here, classic theological misdirection. Oh, let me tell you, Christianity is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. That's all lip service, because watch what he does next. And the gospel is not about what we say. It's all about who we are and what we do and how we're Jesus to the world around us. Whoa. Whoa, did you catch that? It's not about what we say. 
It's about what we do and how we are Jesus. Eh, wrong. It's about what Jesus has done. Remember what Paul said. Here's the gospel. This is the gospel I preached to you, the one by which you're being saved, on which you stand, right? All that, right? Christ died for our sins, and he rose again on the third day. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Does it say anything about what you did? Nope. It's all about what Jesus did. This is dangerous. St. Francis said, Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Actually, that was proven to be false. St. Francis never actually said that. Nope. That's, you know, somebody debunked that a few years ago. He never said it. Okay. And it doesn't make any sense. That's like saying, Feed the hungry. And, you know, at all times, and if possible, use um, use food. It's absolutely nonsense. Yeah, when you preach the gospel, the way the way you do it is to tell people about what Christ has done. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins and was raised again on the third day, accordance with the scriptures. That's this. That's the gospel. It's what Jesus has done. The only way to preach the gospel is to use words. That's the only way to do it. I love that because the gospel is not a sermon. In fact, I would say that the world is tired of just hearing sermons. They want to see one lived out. Now, he said while he was preaching a sermon, weird, isn't it? We're starting this new series uh, that's all about understanding, discovering, and aligning your life with your life message. You have a unique life message. Uh, Aligning your life with your life message? Oh, this is really bad. That God wants you to live out a unique story that has not been written yet, that God wants to write. And so so I want you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And would you stand in honor of God's Word, Woodland Church, and just follow along with me. All right, now, John, chapter 1. Who's that about? Who did John write about? By the way, the answer to the question is, well, John was writing about Jesus. In fact, kind of the thesis sentence of uh, the Gospel of John is found at the end of John. I think it's in John chapter 20. Let me see if I can find it. Um, Yeah, here it is. John chapter 20. It's verse 31, but I want to give you the full sentence because verse 31 begins with a but, which means it's part of, you know, there's something in front of it. So John chapter 20, verse 30 says this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the thesis sentence, and it's at the end of the Gospel of John. For why, why did John write what he wrote? So that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing have life in his name. John chapter 1, is it going to tell you about you, or is it going to tell you about Jesus. Well, let's take a look. Okay. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the Greek, it says this En arche, en halagas, kai halagas, en proston theon, kai theos, en halagas. Right? In English. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. 
and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light and about Jesus, right? All That all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks me before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was through, given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. John 1.1, 1, 1, it's not about you. John 1, no, it's not about you at all. It's not about your life story or getting in alignment with some unwritten story for your life and your purpose. No, it's about Jesus and what he's done and his incarnation and his coming into the world and the fact that before he was born of the Virgin Mary, he was very God of very God. Uh huh. That's what's going on there in that text. But, well... Even though Carrie Shook started off with, oh, this we wanted to start a church that's all about Jesus. He's not preaching Jesus here. He's preaching you. We continue. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Dear God, I thank You that within each of us You have placed a life message. And every day with every... What? How are you getting this God has placed a life message inside of you nonsense from John chapter 1? That is absurd and blasphemous. This is about Jesus, not you. Action, every choice. We're communicating with our life. And you want us to discover it and align our life with your life message because you created us and you know how we work best so that we can find fulfillment and true meaning. And I pray that you'd meet us right here where we are. We thank you that you've done everything at Woodland Church. It's all about you. We give you all the credit and all the glory, but we thank you for what's ahead because this church is not about the past. It's about stepping into the future in faith, believing you for everything you call us to believe you for. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. 
Now, the word gospel literally means good news. And this passage tells us the gospel or the good news is the word. And it te- No, it doesn't. That's not what it's saying. It tells us the word is Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the word is Jesus. So we read the Bible, not to get to know the Bible better, but to get to know Jesus better. Now, this sounds right, but pay attention. The details, he's just going to pull the rug out from under people and tell them about learning their life message. We read God's Word and we study the Bible, not to fill our heads with Bible knowledge, but to grow closer to Christ. Because Christ is the Word. That's good news. And the really good news is the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That God put on human flesh and He became one of us so that we could understand his life message that he was communicating to us, which is the gospel, the good news. Yeah, and the good news that Christ died for our sins. And then he experienced all the things we go through so that we could relate to him. Uh, what? Hurt and pain and rejection and temptation, yet he never once sinned. And he went to a cross and he died on that cross and shed his perfect blood so that we could receive forgiveness. And then he rose again. Yes. And he ascended to heaven and he said, I'm going to leave my spirit with you. If you now this, I mean, notice that there were elements of the gospel there. I mean, clearly the gospel is present in what he's saying. But again, he's going to pull the switcheroo here on us in a second. Receive me. You'll become a child of mine and I will put my spirit in your life literally so that you'll be my body and I can live through you. And so Jesus in you is the gospel. No. Jesus in me is not the gospel. The gospel is Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. It's not Christ in me. That's not the gospel. So therefore, you are the gospel. No, I am not. What Jesus did is, boy, folks, this, again, I've made the point already that this is extremely dangerous. And let me explain to you why. Because of Galatians chapter 1. The Galatian church, the church in Galatia, the churches in Galatia, they were being influenced by a false gospel put out by the Judaizers. And here's what Paul writes to the churches in Galatia. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Anathema is the word, and it means damned eternally. Now he says, as I've said before, so I say again, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be damned. Folks. If you believe you're the gospel, I mean, that was what Carrie Shook just said. Therefore, ergo, you are the gospel. That's a false gospel. The gospel that Paul preached is laid out for us in 1 Corinthians 15, and I read it for you earlier. That's the gospel. You are not the gospel. The good news is the proclamation of what Christ has done, not you and your life story. What Carrie Shook is saying here is, 180 degrees backwards, upside down, inside out, wrong, false, and blasphemous. If you think you're the gospel, you are a false gospel. That should be an aha moment for us. That's what this series is all about, is understanding that you are the good news. 
You see, your life message is the gospel. The good no, your life message is not the gospel. News of Christ in you as you reflect Christ to the world. But every one of us has a unique life message, a unique expression of the gospel as God uses us and works through our personality and gifts and abilities and experiences. You have a unique expression of the gospel within you if you're a Christ follower. So my life message is this, my unique expression. So here's the gospel because this is his unique life message of Christ to the world. It's a good definition of a life mission and a life message. And until you discover your unique life message, then you'll just be existing instead of really living. What are you talking about? You will always be in kind of a fog of confusion in life, not really having clarity on why you're here on this earth. Talk about fog of confusion. That's what he's spewing out right now out of his mouth. And what your purpose is. Until you discover your life message, you'll never find your voice. You'll never have clarity on why you're here. You'll always have a dissatisfaction and a disequilibrium of the soul. Something will always be missing. But you can discover and align your life with your life message, find your voice, come alive, and understand that you are the message. So how do I discover my life message and align my life with it first? Yeah, how, how exactly do you go about doing that? Listen for the divine whisper. What? So the way you discover your divine personal message, which, by the way, according to Carrie Shook, is your unique gospel because you are the gospel. So you have to learn how to listen for the divine whisper. Where are you getting this? It's ironic, but when you stop talking, you find your voice. Uh-huh. Where does the Bible say this? You have to practice the ancient spiritual discipline of solitude and silence. Uh-huh. And where does the Bible say, and thus saith the Lord... For you to discover your unique divine purpose slash message, which then becomes the gospel, because you are the gospel, you must first go and practice the uh, practice, the ancient practice of uh, divine solitude. Yeah. And God will then begin to speak to you from a whisper that will reveal to you your divine destiny purpose thingy that becomes the gospelish thing thing. Where does the Bible say this? talking to a friend of mine the other day and he said he went on a solitude retreat i see a friend of mine told you a friend of yours told you this uh-huh where he went up in the mountains and stayed at a monastery for a weekend it was one of those silent monasteries roman catholic mysticism in the monastery really where does the bible teach this stuff where the monks aren't allowed to talk and anyone there can't talk can't say anything and he said for the first hour he said he thought he was going to die and he's all I could think about is two more days. But he said, then God began breaking through. He said, I stopped talking and just started listening. I started taking walks through the woods and just listening. And God began to restore my soul. And he said, it was a game changer. And he said, God began impressing things on my heart. And God began speaking to my heart. Yeah, how, where does God promise to do that if you go to a, you know, a, a Roman Catholic monastery and just practice solitude? Where does the scripture say this? It was powerful. See, when you finally shut up, you find your voice. Uh-huh. Right. You start listening to God, listening to others. Yeah, I listen to God by opening my Bible because God speaks in his word. You have to hide yourself to find yourself. Uh, 
Sounds like some kind of Zen Buddhist thing going on in uh, Carrie Shook's theology there. There was a time when the prophet Elijah really needed clarity from God. He needed to hear from God. Yeah, this was after the whole prophets of Baal incident up on Mount Carmel. To know God's will for what was next. He was at a place where he was discouraged, and he needed to hear from God. Yeah, so he goes to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. There's a cave on Mount Sinai, by the way. And I'm not talking about the place at the bottom of the Egyptian peninsula. You know, long story, but uh, the, the real Mount Sinai, the, the, you could see the cave right on the front of it. But, um, okay, so that's where Elijah goes. Um, and, yes, yeah, there was an earthquake and there was a fire, and it says, and, and God wasn't in the earthquake, he wasn't in the fire. And then he heard a still, small voice, and so he steps out and covers his face kind of thing, and, and he hears the voice say, Elijah, what are you doing here? Um, yeah, just because that happened to Elijah doesn't mean that God's, promising to speak to you in a still small voice. There is no tacit uh, promise of God speaking to you in a still small voice at all. Not at all. In fact, that's taking a descriptive text and turning it into a prescription. Notice what he's doing. He's attaching this false theology according to this prescriptive reading of this text and attaching it to you've got to find your life purpose and mission by going and practicing solitude so that you can become the gospel. Your life message becomes the gospel. This is straight up false theology and Bible twisting of the highest and most dangerous order. And here's what happened in 1 Kings chapter 19. It says, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. I love that phrase. Underline that, a gentle whisper. God speaks to us in a gentle whisper. No, it doesn't say that God speaks to us in a gentle whisper. It said that God spoke to Elijah in a gentle whisper. There's no promise that God's going to speak to you in a, in a gentle whisper. because. You, and notice, by the way, Elijah was not practicing solitude. Okay? That was not what he was up to. problem is we're always talking. We can't hear his gentle whisper. We always have the noise going. The stereo blaring, the television on, or the internet. And we're always around a lot of people and crowds, and you got to get alone, get silent before God so He can give you your voice. That's not what this text says. A gentle whisper. So there was this huge wind that came, an earthquake and a fire, and that's not talking about a Motown band. It's not earthquake, wind, and fire. It sounds a little bit like Elijah lived in Los Angeles, you know, wind, earthquake, fire. But no, there was these huge events that happened, and Elijah was looking for God to be in these big events. Oh, God is such a big God. He's going to be in this big event. And nope. But when all the big events had passed, there was God speaking to him with a gentle whisper to tell him what to do next. We're always looking for God at the big things. So many times God is found in the small things. We're always wanting to do something big for God. God, I'm going to do something big for you. And God says, all I want you to do is take a small step of obedience. I'm the one who can do something big. You can't. I don't ask you to do something big for me. I don't ask you to change the world. God says, I just ask you to take a step of obedience and leave the results to me. This is, I mean, this is literally a cesspool. A cesspool of biblical... Yeah, twisting uh, and again highest magnitude this is a this is not some 
you know, safe little uh, heresy that he's preaching here. This touches on the very gospel itself and is basically asking you to basically receive, you believe that you're going to receive direct revelation that's going to give you a personal life message that you're supposed to align yourself with, which then becomes the gospel. That, that's just utter and complete blasphemy. And this is not at all what the scriptures teach. Uh, sounds to me like Carrie uh, Shook has uh, jumped off the uh, the deep end here, and it's not not safe. You know the uh, the the area that he's swimming in. I mean, it's just full of satanic and demonic alligators, just ready to eat you up. Oh man, what do you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on. Uh, Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pyre Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pyre Christian. Quick break when we come back. Sermon review, and it's from Pete Wilson's church. Pete Wilson. Uh, details on the other side of the break. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. No, seriously. Starfleet wouldn't have lasted two minutes against the Death Star. Say what you want, dude. Why can't you admit that Star Trek created proton torpedoes first? So what are you saying? Without proton torpedoes, Luke Skywalker would never have been able to destroy the Death Star in the first place. Nuh-uh, bro. He had the Force. You mean metachlorians? That never happened. Those movies were just bad fanfics. Hey! Have you two seen any Daleks around here? Uh, no. That's funny. We just picked up a distress signal and decided to check it out. Well, we haven't seen any... Come on, you two! Get in! Run! Never fear, nerds of the world. It doesn't matter whether you're into Star Wars, Star Trek, or Doctor Who. Think Geek has something for almost every fandom around. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. to a Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. Heading down to Nashville.
Hey, ho! The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Cross Point Church, Nashville, Tennessee. Lisa Harper presiding. Now, this is the church where Pete Wilson holds uh, court. And uh, the name of the sermon we're going to be listening to is entitled Living an Unbent Kind of Life. Now, the reason I'm playing it, uh, aside from the fact that it's preached by a woman, which the Bible forbids, um, is that uh, Lisa sounds like the kind of gal who um, was hurt in similar ways that I was hurt, you know, when I was growing up in legalistic Christianity. The thing is, is that she hasn't discovered the proper distinction of law and gospel. She has some concept of the uh, of grace, but she also kind of falls into the same problem that everybody else falls into. She thinks the Bible's about her, so she uses the occasion of the preaching of the Word or the reading of the Word to launch into her own personal life stories, which she's actually pretty skilled at delivering them. She's humorous and engaging. The problem is, is what she's teaching isn't what the Scriptures say. So, I mean, this makes this sermon, to, you know, into something that's extremely problematic. So let me go ahead and kill the music. And without any further ado, here is Pete Wilson as he introduces Lisa Harper and her message entitled Living an Unbent Kind of Life. Here we go. My name is Pete, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here at Cross Point, and we're really glad that you're at Cross Point today, whether you are at the Nashville campus, maybe you're uh, at the Dixon campus or the Franklin campus or the Bellevue campus, maybe you're at the Dream Center, maybe you're watching online, wherever you're at, we're really honored that uh, you would spend the day with us today. The Dream Center. Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's a couple of places on the planet named the Dream Center, and that's not an appropriate name for a church. We continue. And you guys are in for a real treat today. Uh, I love it when I wake up on a Sunday morning and I know that no one at Cross Point has a clue about a big surprise, and yet I do know about it. It's like Christmas morning, and so uh, I'm really excited for you guys today because you get to hear from one of my dear friends. Her name is Lisa Harper. Lisa is uh, one of the most brilliant communicators that I've ever heard in my life. Like, rarely do you use the words like hilarious storyteller and uh, Bible scholar in the same, like, sentence. Those two things usually aren't even in the same universe. You have to have a really special giftedness to be funny and a Bible scholar at the same time. And Lisa is absolutely uh, both of those. My friend Max Licato, uh So let's see how much of a Bible scholar she really is based upon her exegesis of the text that she'll be preaching from describes Lisa as uh, one of the best Bible tour guides that's out there. And I absolutely agree with him uh, because uh, she is just so on point and you guys are going to be so blessed today. Um, one of the best things about her story, you'll hear a little bit about Lisa today, but uh, one of the coolest things going on in her life right now is three months ago for the first time she got to become a mom and she adopted a beautiful little girl named Missy uh, from Haiti. And so you'll get to hear uh, a little bit uh, about Missy today and just uh, the incredible journey of what God's doing. Lisa really is uh, one of the most gifted people I've ever, ever met. She's written about a gazillion books, uh, actually I think 10 of them, and a bunch of Bibles.
Bible studies, and uh, she's just so gifted as an author. And uh, I've been blown away by God how, how God uses her to speak. Uh, Lisa and I are on a tour right now called uh, Women of Faith. And so uh, we're in these different places on the weekend. I know it's kind of silly that I'm on a Women of Faith tour. Yesterday... Quick story. Yesterday we were in uh, D.C. and uh, there's like 6,000 women. It's a sea of estrogen, okay? And so I'm just so happy to be here today and see some dudes <laughs> and be reaffirmed that I am one. And so uh, it, it just feels really good. But she is just such, such an incredibly gifted communicator. She got in on a much later flight from D.C. last night. So I need you guys at all of our Crosspoint campuses to really lean in, give her everything you can. So notice, I mean, this is the buildup for this woman. We're here. Oh, wow. I mean, she's the bee's knees. Yeah. Well, at church, I mean, you would think that Jesus is the one we really should be building up. You know what I'm saying? God and give a huge cross point. Welcome to my friend, Lisa Harper. Thank you, Thank you so much. Our goal, our goal is that by the end of the Women of Faith tour, we're going to have Pete in a pair of Spanx. That's our, our goal. So if you want to fast and pray about that with me, you can. Um, I need to make a couple of qualifications before we dive into the message. First, it is a huge, huge, huge honor for me to be here at Cross Point. I love Brandy and Pete. So to actually get to be here in their house is just um, it's a big deal. I keep pinching myself. I was so excited about getting to come be with y'all. I celebrated and bought some leather pants. And um, <laughs> what, what I, I forgot when I bought these is that I'm in a hot flash season. And so there was a lot of squeaking going on at the first service. And so I just want to let y'all know if you hear squeaking, it's me. It's not technical. Um, for those of y'all on the satellite campuses, the AV guys have promised me they will squelch the squeak so you won't hear it y'all might be scarred for life and I just need to apologize ahead of time for that and then Pete was of course too gracious to tell you that I am 51 I'll be 51 August 24th and single my husband is lost and won't stop to ask for directions so if you know someone that would be cool um but the fact that 1-800-588 please call Lisa for a date but anyway um the fact that I am 51 and single and my... Now, this woman, I mean, her appeal, I mean, clearly she is a gifted communicator. She has a good sense of comedic timing. She can tell a story. The thing is, she, is she really going to tell me something about Jesus, or are we just going to keep hearing about Lisa Harper? Because the, the job of somebody in the pulpit on a Sunday, unfortunately, I think they have a stage there at Crosspoint is to preach Christ, to preach the Word. And uh, she'll she'll actually get to a text, but watch what she does with it. It's kind of Stephen Furtick narcissistic eisegesis that she uh, engages in here. She's not really going to tell us about Jesus. We're going to learn a lot, I mean a lot, about Lisa Harper. And man, she has got great delivery, but she's not using it to tell me about Jesus. Not for real. That's what you're going to see. Here we go. My baby's birth mama died of AIDS, and when I first met her, she was two and a half, and uh, she has HIV and had tuberculosis and cholera, and the doctor said she wouldn't live to see her fourth birthday, and that's her last week uh, in Leapers Fork, where we live, and I'm just, she's in y'all's children's ministry today, 
Angie Smith told me that I'm just this close to getting a minivan with the stick figures on the back, so I bought a motorcycle instead with a sidecar, and, um, and that's us last week. It has just been amazing. It has been such a gift to get to be a mama at this point. I am sleep-deprived and happier than I've ever, ever been. Can, can I point out something awkward here? She's a mama without a husband, which means this girl that she's going to be raising isn't going to have a dad. I, I think that's not a, not a positive thing. Um, this is a problem. And I promise I'll only tell one motherhood story today. This isn't going to be all about scrapbooking, guys, but I do have to tell one. Um, It was the first time I visited Missy in the summer. Um, It was a two-year process to adopt her. I lost two domestic adoptions before that. So it's just a long road. It's been a long journey, but I would go back and forth to Haiti. And the first time I went to Haiti in the summertime, it was 115 degrees. And um, it was so hot when we landed at Port-au-Prince. I was like, Jesus, I'll be a missionary in Africa if you'll just give me a Slurpee. I mean, this is horrible. (laughs) And um, when I went to her village, she grew up in a very rural, very primitive village. Um, It was just miserable, you know, very, very hot. They were burning trash the whole time. And so I kept force feeding Missy water. And after I'd given her about a half a gallon of water, I thought, I need to take this pumpkin to the potty because, you know, inevitably she needs to go to the potty. Now, there's only six potties in her village. They typically use latrines there. Um, Pete, we've got leather pants and latrines. It's all downhill from here. Sorry. You're going to have to, like, cover me in just a minute. But I thought, I need to take her to the potty. And so I said, baby, come here. Come with mama and let's go to the potty. And she said, okay, not because she understood me, because she speaks Creole. My Creole is abysmal, so usually we do charades. She's learning fast, so she's speaking more English now. But at that point, she didn't understand anything. She said mama, but she didn't really understand I was her mama when she was two and a half. I was like Santa with bigger hips because I just gave her treats all the time. And so (laughs) the reason she said, okay, mama, is she thought we were going back in for more candy in the mission house. But when we walked past my suitcase and she realized she wasn't getting any candy, she started to whimper. Because she had never been to the bathroom before in the mission house. And the bathroom in this particular mission house, it's, it's rough. Uh, the toilet um, and the shower are on the same system. So what happens in one happens in the other. So it's kind of like fear factor instead of going to potty. But, but still, I wanted to take her to the bathroom inside because that's what I'm used to. And so I brought her in and I sat her on the potty and I had to hold her up. You know, she would fall in because they didn't have those toddler rails. And I said, baby, mama just wants you to pee in the potty. Now, I'm sorry to use that language in here this morning. I know this is a house of God. You're lucky I just said pee-pee, but but pee-pee in Creole is the same as it is in English, and I just wanted to make my expectations clear. And when I said it, she still kept whimpering. I could tell she was really afraid. So I leaned in a little closer, and I said, baby, it's okay. It's okay. Mama just wants you to pee-pee in the potty. And the second time I said it, I could see this look of comprehension cross her face. I mean, it was almost like she was going, oh, okay. And she furrowed her eyebrows. You know how toddlers will do when they're trying to please you. And she... So notice we're not starting with a biblical text. We're starting with a personal life story. Now, here's the odd thing. We're almost a third of the way through the sermon. This is not a good sign. 
She leaned forward, and I could tell she was just about to do what it asked her to do, and our foreheads were almost touching. And I thought, this is why they invented Michaels and glue guns. I mean, this is why people scrapbook. This is it right here. What's happening now, this needs to somewhere be memorialized. I mean, this is the first time she's understood me. We're peas and carrots. I mean, we're getting each other. And right as she was about to go in the potty, the potty exploded, and it shot up a geyser of what I've been calling unfiltered water and it shot on the ceiling of this little bathroom and then it cascaded over both of us and there were seven gallons of of exciting water on the floor, the tile floor, and I was in flip-flops because it was 115 degrees. And so I'd snatched Missy off the minute the explosion happened because she was screaming bloody murder. And she had her hands in my hair. She was pulling my hair, just screaming bloody murder. And I am sliding in that water and I'm about to drop her. And what I'm thinking is, oh crud, I'm going to fall on her and kill her. And they're never going to let me adopt. They're going to be like, oh no, she's the one who killed the orphan. And so I'm kind of panicked. But what I'm saying is, baby, it's okay. Mama's got you. It's okay. Mama's got you. And what was so cool is after about 10 seconds, she believed me. And I know she believed me because she took her hands out of my hair and she wrapped around my neck. And at the time she only weighed 19 pounds because she was really malnourished, but all 19 pounds just relaxed in my arms. And she put her little face right there and just exhaled. And I thought, now this is the bomb. I mean, this is amazing because it was the very first time she had ever trusted me when she was afraid. Now, y'all, I know Missy's probably going to be in pull-ups when she's 16 because she's going to be so afraid of toilets. Um, But I don't care. I will be forever grateful for that broken potty in Haiti because it's what sent my baby running to me. For comfort the very first time. I will always be appreciative of that broken toilet. And I was thinking about that recently. And I thought, isn't that so often the case with us and God? It's the broken things in our lives. It's the broken chapters in our story. So notice she's exegeting her personal life story to give us a theology. Mm, Wrong source. Stories that send us careening to our creator for the comfort that only he can give us is the places that we're wounded. It's the chapters where we're disappointed that send us running to him because he's the only one who has unconditional, perfect love for us, regardless of what season we're limping through. There's a story that just epitomizes a person's brokenness, sending her toward Jesus in Luke's gospel. So if you brought your Bible or your iPad or your iPod, there's an app called the Bible. So now we're going to get into the biblical text. Again, we're just about a third of the way through all of this. Finally, the Bible shows up. Now pay attention to what she does here. She reads the text, makes some kind of an observation, and then kind of uses it like a a diving board, if you would, to kind of jump up and down and then spring out into her own life again. That's what's going to happen. Let's continue. I'm not being facetious. There really is one. It's great. Um, But turn to Luke chapter 13. And the story begins in verse 10. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and this is how it starts. Now he, he being Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, or if you have a Jewish background, on Shabbat. And there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. 
When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, a stinker, was indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. He said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, but not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him, that were done by Jesus. Now, if you've read this particular section of Luke, you'll find that most of the time in these stories in the middle of Luke, Jesus reprimands spiritual leaders for emphasizing external conformity because that's what was going on during this period of ancient history. A lot of the religious leaders... Yeah, actually, he uh, chastised him for being a hypocrite, okay, for judging Jesus for healing a woman, loosing her from the bonds of Satan, yet he even loosens his own animals. It was for hypocrisy. Jesus himself said it. Leaders were saying it's all about rules. And even though I didn't grow up in the first century, I grew up with that kind of dogma. I grew up in a, a church that I'm not going to name. It rhymes with Baptist, but um, I, I grew up, I actually still love my church, but, but I grew up thinking it was all about not smoking, not drinking, not chewing, not going with boys that doing. Did I tell you I'm 51 and single? Um, so that actually hasn't worked out real well for me. But anyway, I grew up thinking it was all about external conformity. And that's what Jesus is preaching against. In- not, no, it's, again, you have to get other things. It's not external conformity. It's the trying to establish your own righteousness by keeping the commandments. That's really what he's going at. And there's other passages that bring that up. The issue here is that righteousness is not established by commandment keeping. The purpose of the law is to show you you're a sinner in need of a Savior. That's what Romans 3 says. So the what she's how she's interpreting this here is part of the reason why she's not correct she does she's not correctly handling the text. She's seeing a significance here that can't be justified by what the text says or even by correctly matrixing it or cross-referencing it with other passages to understand what's Jesus going after. The problem with the Pharisees, they're trying to establish their own righteousness by law-keeping. Okay? The law can't do that. And by the way, the law comes from God. So this comes back down to this proper distinction of law and gospel. And although she's been hurt by bad law preaching this is, that comes us through loud and clear in what she's saying here she hasn't discovered the biblical distinctive between the proper understanding of god's law and the gospel which is causing all kinds of problems here luke 13 he said uh-uh uh-uh it's not about the rules it's not about whether you heal on shabbat or not it's about do you have an authentic relationship Either your creator, redeemer, and do you love each other well? It's really all about relationship. It's not about religiosity. So that, Which, by the way, what she said is just another way of saying love God, love neighbor, which is what? The summary of the law. See, she's preaching the law as if it's the gospel. It's not. Love God, love neighbor, it's all about relationship, is not the gospel. The gospel is Christ died for our sins.
and rose again for the third day on the third day according to the scriptures. Uh-huh. Big difference. Love God, love neighbor. That's the summary of all of the law. Uh, on these two commandments hang all of the law and prophets. Uh-huh. She's giving us the law as if it's the gospel and it's not. That's kind of the big picture application of the middle of Luke's gospel, but there's a, a sweeter more personal application in this particular story that you kind of have to read between the lines to see. That first line that reads, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. You have to study the other three gospels to get the chronology here and to recognize this is actually the last time Jesus taught publicly in the synagogue. This is his very last public sermon prior to the crucifixion and resurrection. So this is like his, his George Strait farewell tour. I was going to use Cher, but she said like five or six of them. This is the very last time Jesus speaks publicly. And then based on the way he greets this woman in the original text in Aramaic, he greets her as if he's surprised by her, which means Luke isn't written in Aramaic. She wasn't sitting in the back of the church the whole time he was preaching. She interrupted him in the middle of his sermon. She wasn't on a back pew the whole time. Those are long wooden benches we used to have in church for y'all had cushy seats with cup holders. She wasn't there the whole time. She interrupted Jesus in the middle of his sermon. I was in the Orlando airport recently and I was reading an email on it. Boy, that was quite the segue. Now we're launching into another personal life story. Well delivered, good sense of comedic timing, but what does that have to do with this text? It was life or death. It was about a sale at Pottery Barn. And so I was walking, read my phone, because I'm at that age where I have to hold it at arm's length. And I walked into the bathroom. And when I got into the bathroom, I put the phone down and was shocked to realize I was standing in front of a urinal. And... Um, <laughs> Those guys are still in therapy, but I didn't mean to walk into the restroom. I interrupted them in a way that I'm sure is still has an effect on them when they go into public restrooms. But y'all, this woman meant to, she meant to interrupt Jesus. And my guess is she was just so sick and tired of being sick and tired. She decided that protocol didn't matter anymore because she had not only been bent over for 18 years. One of the other gospel accounts tells us she was bent over double. So that is a serious, painful case of spinal stenosis. And she decided, I don't care. I don't care who looks at me crooked. I don't care who whispers behind my back. I'm going for it. I believe he's the only guy who can heal me. Now, let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer out loud. How long have you been sick? And I'm obviously not talking about your spines, talking about your hearts, about your souls. Um, since I was conceived, I was conceived in sin. This is what the psalmist says. How long have you been crooked? And what will it take for you to be willing to interrupt Jesus? Um, Jesus has interrupted and saved me. The only one who can give you complete freedom from your past, from your shame, from the places you still blame yourself. I... Are you talking about Christ's death on the cross for our sins? Met Jesus, or I should say he found me when I was a little girl. I can still remember uh, the pastor was preaching about God being a father that never walked away from his children. And our father had just walked away from our family to be with another woman. And I was just devastated. I thought it must be me, which is, I think, what a lot of kids think who experience divorce. I thought if only I was prettier 
or sweeter or use my inside voice more. Maybe dad wouldn't have walked away. And so when he started talking about the fact that God wouldn't walk away, I thought, I want that. I want a dad who won't leave. So I became a Christian when I was a little girl. But soon after my dad walked away from our family, some other men came and went from our family who sexually molested my sister and I. And those experiences just kind of underscored that feeling of shame on my heart. I thought I'm not good enough or my dad wouldn't have walked away. And there must be something innately broken in me or those men wouldn't have done those things to me. There's a difference between shame and guilt. Guilt is you feel badly about something you've done. Shame is when you think the wrong is in me. It's in me. And I was just bent by shame for years. I went to seminary. I memorized a lot of Greek and Hebrew. But I was bent by shame. And, you know, I think one of the biggest misconceptions in Christendom today is we associate shame with humility. So many Christians think, well, if I'm bent and I don't feel very good about myself, then I must be humble. Those two are not synonymous. They are 180 degrees apart. If you feel less than, if you feel bad about yourself, that is not a spiritual gift. Bent is not the posture of humility. Bent is a consequence of unbelief. If somebody tells you you should feel bad about yourself... Yeah, again, what does this have to do with the story of this woman? Yeah, I I mean, I don't see the connection. I don't see it using sound biblical hermeneutics, clear, right exegesis. It does, I don't see the connection. In order to be in a good relationship with God, that is crooked theology. Now, speaking of crooked, I want to tell you about a massage I had recently. I was at a, uh, a win- Yes, you heard right. Now we're going to get a very long story about a weird massage that she paid for. No joke. Again, I have no idea what this has to do with the text of Luke. None. I have no clue whatsoever. Women's conference, and it was in a, another area of the country. And these women were, I mean, they have the, had the, the gift of hateful. They were just, they were a rough crew. And so we were there for three days and I was there with two friends who were leading worship. And all of us were like, we were like, if they had alcohol on this Christian campus, we would be doing like shots every night. And these women were just tough. Not that I've ever done that before P ever, but, um, but it was just, it was a rough weekend. And so at the end of this Christian women's conference, we all were like, we need a break. And they said, well, on the way up here, we saw this spa that looked really nice. So let's all go get any treatments at the spa. And my two friends decided they were going to get facials. And I thought, I need more than a facial. Like, I need a little bit of rubbing going on here because I'm single. I don't get rubbed on. And I thought, you know, this has been rough. I'm, I'm willing to pay for it. And so, so I got the, the spa brochure. And in the brochure, you listed all these different massages that you could choose. But the one that was the most expensive and to me sounded the coolest. Because I usually get my massages on Groupon for like 39 bucks in a strip mall. And I thought, I'm going to splurge. This one says, two therapists. It was called the Four Hands, One Heart Massage. I literally wrote it in my Bible because I'm such a spiritual heavyweight. That was a little bit of a stretch, by the way. Um, Two therapists work in unison on your body. You will lose track of where you are. Mental chatter will disappear. It is an extraordinary, over-the-top experience. And I thought, I need that. 
I need some over-the-top, so I'm going to basically pay a mortgage payment for this massage. And I was so excited about it that I didn't even sit down in the waiting room. I was just kind of like standing up with enthusiasm, you know, my little rental robe. And, and this girl comes in, and she said, are you Miss Harper? And I said, I am. And she said, namaste. And I said, you have a nice day, too. And um, Great comedic delivery. But what does this have to do with the woman who is healed on the Sabbath? Answer, nothing. Absolutely nothing. We're learning a lot about Lisa Harper. Jesus, a little bit. But nothing connected, you know, properly to the biblical text he's teaching from. She said, if you will follow us, we're going to take you to a yurt where your massage will take place. I didn't know a yurt was a fancy tent. And so we start walking up. This was in the Sangrita Cristo Mountains. We're walking up the stone path toward this yurt, this private tent. And she leans over to me. And you know how they always say in those real low tones, she said, do you have any hot spots or danger zones we should know about? And I said, well... Yeah, I haven't had a good date in a long time. I'm not sure. I said, but um, I, I had surgery on my lower back, so that's a little tricky. And she said, oh, not to worry. And this is what she said verbatim. Oh, not to worry. This is actually more of a dance than a massage. Now, y'all, really, if you have paid through the nose for a massage and somebody tells you it's going to be more of a dance, wouldn't you have the presence of mind to say, what exactly do you mean by the word dance? I mean, what are we talking here? But I didn't. I've never been the sharpest tool in the shed. And so I just kept, you know, trotting happily along like a chunky lamb to the slaughter. And we get to the yurt and she opens the door. And when she opened the door, I was a little bit taken aback because it was a not the normal kind of massage table I've seen before, you know, low with a little padded pleather. It was a tall, narrow metal slab like the morgue tables in CSI and I thought oh crud they're going to kill me and then she said um, we're going to give you a few moments of privacy please disrobe completely and lie face down on the table and so I grew up Baptist I'm submissive I did that she came back in and she leaned down I couldn't see her now because I was minding but she leaned down and whispered in my ear this massage requires more oil than normal So we are now going to pour hot oil over your body. Please do not be alarmed. And I thought, they're going to fry me. Before they kill me, they're going to fry me. Um, But again, I'm not the fastest thinker. And so before I could respond, she grabbed my wrist and he grabbed my ankles. And they flipped on some Yanni or Inya or something and started sliding me on the table, just sliding me around. It was a dance and I was the prop. And um, I don't know if y'all have a mental picture of this yet, but if you watched the Winter Olympics, this was like curling with naked Lisa. I mean, it was horrible. It was it was the worst 60 minutes of my whole life. And at one point, I was perpendicular, perpendicular. I don't want you to imagine that you will not eat lunch, but it was hard. And and at the end, you know, I thought they stinking lied to me. They told me this was a massage. I'm thinking two people are going to rub on me. This is going to be glory. And instead, you know, I'm a prop. And they told me mental chatter would disappear. I've never had so much chatter in my whole life. I might have to go to therapy for years after this so-called massage. I bought into false advertising. And y'all, so many of us. Yeah, you know, uh, Pete Wilson's introduction of you, where he talked about, you know, what a great Bible teacher you are. Yeah, 
False advertising, for sure. Us have done the same thing in much more devastating circumstances. So many of us have put our hope in Jesus as our Savior, but we don't think he likes us very much. From the and this is a result of mixing the categories of law and gospel. From the time I was about seven until I was way past tight skin and a high metabolism in my late 30s, I really didn't think God celebrated me. I thought he saved me because he felt sorry for me. I couldn't imagine that the king of all kings called me beautiful. That he said that he longed to spend time with me. That he said in Song of Solomon, with one glance of your eyes, you captured my heart. I thought there's no way a holy God could think that about me. I was so bent for so many years. I could exegete Greek and Hebrew and I did not get grace. I didn't believe it. I would believe it much more for you than I would for myself. And that's probably why I'm so, so passionate about God's people really living in the abundant life that he's called us to and not living emasculated lives. What's the abundant life? Can we get an exegetical look at that, please? We are bent by our past or we are crooked because of something someone spoke over us or something we experienced or even something that we committed There's freedom. There's forgiveness for our past. We don't have to live in light of that anymore. Yes. Tell me more about that forgiveness. More. I was talking about this at a women's conference recently. Are we going to get another story about Lisa? Colorado. It was a small group of women, and we spent three days together. So I took a lot more liberty than I normally do at a conference like this. And and in the last session, I just said, y'all, we've been talking a lot about freedom. And I know that some of y'all probably are a little bit like me and have lived a lot of your lives bent and crooked. And I said, you know, I just think it would be prudent for us to stick a stake in the sand tonight figuratively and just to pray a liberation prayer that we are going to accept healing and liberty and we're going to live the freedom that Jesus says. Pray a liberation prayer that we're going to accept liberty and freedom and justice for all. I mean, what is this? Is this like the Christian virgin, version of the uh, Pledge of Allegiance? That he came to give us, that he died to buy for us, as, as she said earlier, the girl with great arms. And, and so I said, we're going to have a prayer. I said, if you have been bent in your life, maybe by physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, you know, there are a few guys. What about the sins that they've committed? Hmm? Christ died for our sins. You're talking about people who've been victimized by the sins that others have committed, which truly there needs to be healing for. But what about the forgiveness of the sins that people have committed? You know, they're perpetrators too. So are you. So am I. Guys there, so it's like maybe maybe your football coach never played you. If you're a Nashvilleian, maybe some... Fickle record producer told you your voice wouldn't sell records. Uh, So a football coach wouldn't play you. Maybe you're not good at football. Maybe the Nashville record producer was right. Maybe you're pitchy and you don't have a good ear and you don't have a decent voice. And yeah, you, you see what I'm saying here? What does this have to do with the cross again? We've all got some dent that somebody else made. I said, if you still feel like you're a little bit bent by that, would you just stand up? And about half the room stood.
And what does this have to do with the lady who was healed by Jesus on Shabbat? And I thought, oh man, I wish I'd thought this through. I'm not sure where to go next. And then I just sensed the Holy Spirit whisper to me and he said, I want you to speak words of promise from God's word over each of these women. So she gets direct revelation from God. Uh Uh-oh. And I said, yes, sir. And I turned to the first girl on my left. There are only about 150 women, so I'd gotten to know a lot of them. And I knew that her dad had always berated her for not doing well in school. And he told her she was stupid. She didn't perform nearly as well academically as her siblings. And so I turned to her and I said, you are not stupid. I said, God did not give you a spirit of fear or timidity, but he gave you a sound mind. And then I turned to the next girl and I knew a little bit of her story. And I knew that because of her past, she felt very... Who's the hero in this story? Lisa Harper is, not Jesus. That's a big problem. Huge problem. Very ugly. Now that was really far from the truth. This girl was gorgeous, beautiful, tall, slender, blonde, really beautiful. And if I looked like her, I would wear a bathing suit to Harris Teeter. But she felt (laughs) ugly. She believed she was ugly. So I spoke that promise to her from Psalm 139. For I made you. I formed you in your mama's womb. I knew you in your inmost being, and I believe you are beautifully and wonderfully made. And so I told her that's what God thought of her. And then I turned to the third girl, and I was a little surprised that she was standing because I know a lot of her story. She's actually a friend of mine. Her husband is a pastor, and I mean, I really respect this woman in the same way I respect Brandy. She's a godly woman, great mama. And, and so I was a little surprised that she was standing. And I said, Carol, and I mean, just immediately I knew what to say. I said, Carol, you are not dirty. There is now, therefore, no shame or condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And when I said, Carol, you are not dirty, she went, <gasps> and then when I spoke that promise from Romans 8, there is now, therefore, no shame or condemnation. She just kind of folded back into her seat and began to sob. And I thought, oh, crud, you know, out of all the women here, she's the last one I would want to offend. And I thought, that's what happens when Baptists try to prophesy. We mess it up. Um, But I went on and we had, you know, some more prayer time and a real sweet time of worship. And then it was all over and, you know, everybody left to go back to their cabins except for Carol. And when the room was cleared, she came over and she said, Lisa, I need to talk to you about what you spoke over me a few minutes ago. And I said, okay. And she said, I was kind of surprised that you spoke an individual promise over each woman. And I said, yeah, I kind of surprised myself with that. And she said, I almost didn't stand up because I didn't want anybody to think Paul had abused me. Paul is her husband and he's a pastor. But she said, when you said, if you're still a little bit bent... She said, I just couldn't get past that phrase because I have lived a little bit bent since I was 13 years old and my uncle started molesting me. She said, that's why I went out of state to college. And she said, I met Paul at college and he took me to do a Bible study and that's where I met Jesus. And she said, we have had a lot of counseling. Paul is amazing. She said, I know in my head I'm clean. I know the verses. I know the theology. But she said, honestly, I still feel like I'm a little bit bent emotionally every time 
Paul and I are physically intimate, I still feel a, a little bit dirty. So she said, when you started speaking promises over people, I literally prayed and said, God, if this is from you, will you have her use the word dirty with me? Because if she uses that word, I'll know this is from you. And this isn't something that Lisa has just drummed up. And she said, I couldn't believe that I was the only person you called by name. The only person whose name you used. And then you used that specific word. You said, I wasn't dirty. And she said, Lisa, this is the first time in 38 years that I feel like I'm standing up completely straight. Y'all, that's what God wants for all of us. Now, as heart-wrenching and compelling as the story is, especially by delivered by a good storyteller with a good sense of comedic timing and a good sense for slowing things down and kind of pumping up the drama, here's the question. Where is this taught in Scripture again? That's right. This isn't a, a proper handling of the text that she gave us. We got a little bit of Bible and a lot of Lisa. Who's the hero? Lisa. Lisa, the Baptist prophetess. This is manipulative. This is not what it means to preach the word. This is the opposite of it. And it's very deceptive, very slick, very well delivered. And I I don't mean to sound like I have achieved it. I feel like sometimes I'm still in the unbending process. I want to be free. I want to live what I preach. I want to rest in the fact that God grins when he sees me coming. That even on my worst days, he calls me beautiful. That is our story. That's the love story we have. Our story. That's Our story is not the gospel. The story of what Jesus has done for us is. have been written into So our prayer for you this morning is that you will begin to stand up straighter in your spirit and walk in the love and the freedom and the forgiveness that Jesus died to give us. Let me pray for you, please. Done. Okay, so yesterday's sermon and today's sermon, similar in the sense that confusion of law and gospel. Hers was far more subtle to detect than uh, yesterday's sermon. And hers was that relationship, love God, love others. That's the law. And so she has a concept of grace, which, based upon her experiences, would make sense. But she hasn't taken the time to properly unpack what the Scripture teaches between the proper distinction of law and gospel. And there's some things going on in her theology well, I hate to say it, that are downright scary and somewhat, um, yeah, uh, dangerous, especially the uh, prophetic portion of it. She's really a prophetess. Why is she twisting God's word? Why does she use God's word as a springboard to talk about herself rather than Jesus? Yeah, yeah, it's rather interesting. So, Two sermons that we've reviewed this week, they're kind of in the same ballpark. They require a lot more discernment to figure out just where they're off. But both of them are off, and both of them have a sense of the gospel there, but the gospel's not being applied correctly because the law is not being applied correctly in both sermons, yesterday's sermon and today's sermon. 
The law was being applied as if it were the gospel. That is a huge problem. What do you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.